Well, it's uh, great to be with you again this morning. Thank you for joining with us again as we uh, turn our attention to God's Word, as we seek to hear from Him, hear what He has to teach us this morning. Uh, And we're going to continue in our Head, Heart, Hands series that you're probably familiar with if you've been around for a little while. Uh, If you haven't been, then uh, what we're trying to do in this series is understand and know God's truth in our heads, uh, but not just leave it as head knowledge. We want it to impact our heart and captivate our emotions because in doing so, then it will determine our actions and our lives will be transformed. And as Tim has already alluded to, to help us frame the series, we're working our way through our church doctrinal statement. Um, And today we reach the church. Uh, What does the Bible teach us about the church, God's church? Uh, What does he have to say about his church? Uh, And so it's a joy, and it's been a joy this week even to return to this teaching. Uh, Many of you will be familiar that uh, over the last 18 months or so, we've actually dealt with this teaching quite a lot. Um, I don't know for those of you whose memories can go back far enough. The Sunday before we went into national global lockdown, uh, we celebrated what it meant for the church to gather. uh, And then we were told not to. uh, And church looked very different for 18 months. Indeed, it's still looking a little bit different um, than what we're used to. Uh, So that was the 15th of March, uh, 2020. We looked at that. Then we regathered for that first Sunday in September, 2020. uh, And we looked at why is this a good thing to do? Why does God... Uh, command that his people gather together as his church family and so that was the uh, 5th of September I think it was Uh, and then uh, for those of you who are involved in our life groups we've been working our way through six weeks of love your church why the church is uh, a wonderful gift that God gives and how we can love it and love one another better and so it feels like we've been we've been talking about the church for a very long time Um, personally this topic of the church has has been uh, in my mind and in my heart for for a while some of you know that um, I've just in August completed uh, some study of a master's program and my dissertation topic was why do Christians gather as the church Uh, and so this has been has been in my head a lot and this has been uh, we've been talking about it a lot here Uh, and so I'd encourage you that, that, that although we may be familiar with the church some of us, if we're, if we're Christians this morning, we may have been coming to church for a very long time. You might have heard those teachings on the 15th of March, the 5th of September. Somehow you've maybe got a hold of my dissertation and you're fed up of me talking about the church. Well, can I, can I encourage you uh, to shelve that idea if you can? Um, not because I feel like I've got something new to share this morning, but exactly the opposite. Uh, we're going to return to the beauty and the timeless wonder of what God teaches us about the church and why we're here. Uh, And so I encourage you to hear that as freshly as you can this morning as we turn to passages that if you have been around church for a while, they may be familiar passages to you, but let's not let that familiarity lose the wonder of what God has given us uh, in each other and in his church. Uh, And so uh, I asked a question there thrown into the middle that I want to come back to. Uh, And this might be a little bit provocative, but, but I wonder why you're here. Um, not kind of existentially as the why you're on the planet, but why are you here this morning? Why, why have you gathered with us as church? Uh, why have you come to church? Um, maybe uh, I could think of at least three options. I'm sure there are more. Maybe you were semi-dragged here because others in your household, particularly those with car keys, were leaving. And so you, you felt like you had to come. Um, maybe you're here because it's Sunday. And, and that's just part of your weekly rhythm is Sunday was church day. Um, certainly in our house with Sam, Sunday is church day. Uh, or maybe, thirdly, maybe you're here because you desperately want to be here. Um, and you desperately want to be here because you realize the benefit of it. And so whatever your experience or whatever your, your reason, your motivation personally for being here, I'm delighted that you're here. Uh, we are delighted that you're with us. 
And my prayer for our time together this morning is that we would all, by the end of this, understand what God has to teach us about his church. And therefore, we would all long to come to church, be part of his church, uh, his church universally, his church here expressed locally. Um, And so I I pray that this morning that we would increase our, our knowledge from God's word as to what the church is, what it's for, and what he has intended it to be. Uh, And that would then uh, enable us to feel a a right sense of excitement and and joy and anticipation and and gratitude for for the opportunity of being part of his church. Uh, And from all of that then, from knowing that and from feeling that, our lives would be transformed. That that Sunday just wouldn't be the first day on our calendar, but it would be the highlight of our week as we gather with God's people. And it would help to shape our weeks as we live out our lives of discipleship, uh, separated from one another geographically, but united together spiritually. Uh, and so I realize that, that many of us approach this topic in many different ways. Um, but what I want us to do this morning is hear, as I've said, God's timeless teaching on the church. Uh, and so this morning we're going to spend the majority of our time in Acts chapter 2. Uh, I'd, I'd love you to turn there with me if you have a copy of God's Word. Uh, Acts chapter 2. And we're going to be spending the majority of our time in the final couple of paragraphs. Um, but this again might be a familiar passage to you. Uh, it's the incredible account, though, of the earliest Christian community being established in Jerusalem. Um, And the chapter that we're into, chapter 2, has been guiding us through an incredible day on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. And the Holy Spirit came in power. But but let's back up a little bit. The day of Pentecost, this is uh, about 50 days after Christ was crucified, about 10 days after he was ascended into heaven. This was a Jewish festival taking place. And so Jerusalem was buzzing. Uh, People from all over the ancient Near East came to Jerusalem to celebrate this wonderful festival in the Jewish calendar. Uh, and the disciples of Jesus are in Jerusalem, um, but they're not necessarily celebrating. They're, they're waiting. Uh, they're waiting because they've been told to wait. Jesus told them to wait. Uh, and he told them that as they waited, they had to wait because the Holy Spirit would come. And when the Holy Spirit would come, they would receive power. They would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and, and eventually to the ends of the earth. Uh, and Acts 2, this wonderful chapter that we're jumping into the end of, uh, shows the beginning of exactly that. Uh, The Holy Spirit comes and comes in power. Uh, The disciples who have gathered, they head out onto the streets of Jerusalem and they start calling people to to repentance and baptism because they're witnessing to Jesus like he told them they would. Uh, They're doing so and they're speaking miraculously in the many languages of the people who have gathered in the city. Uh, And after a while, Peter stands up and we're going to pick up this story here in verse uh, 36. Um, Peter stands up in this crowded place in Jerusalem when they've been telling them, telling the people about Jesus. Peter then says in verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and pleaded with them and said. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What an amazing scene. You imagine standing in the streets of Jerusalem and watching these hundreds of people, these 3,000 people turning to Christ, repenting, being baptized and being added to their number, added to the church. 
Um, but but that's, that's not where the story ends. That's not where these 3,000 people, their, their journey of faith doesn't end. No, they've repented, they've been baptized, they've been added to their number, and that their story continues. And let's continue on in verse 32. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a a wonderful picture of the early church, isn't it? Lives being transformed by the gospel. Fellowship being fostered together. Spiritual growth being nurtured as they devote themselves to teaching. Whole communities being impacted as daily those who are being saved are added to the church. And, and although time and circumstance and culture may have moved on, may feel very different for us as we sit here in 2021, the, the biblical teaching shows that those things should be the, the experience of Christians everywhere at all, in all time. And so for us today, we should be seeing lives transformed. Fellowship being fostered, spiritual growth being nurtured, and communities being impacted because it's about the gospel. It's God at work in his people. And so how are these things done? How how do we see these wonderful things take place? Well, we see it here and we see it throughout the New Testament that these things take place through God's work in his people, the church. And so let's take a closer look at what God's Word teaches us about the church. And specifically, uh, to help us, um, I realize we've got into a bit of a pattern of asking three questions. I don't know whether you've noticed that, but we're going to ask three more questions today. Um, What is the identity of the church? What is the purpose of the church? And what is the activity of the church? Um, And so uh, identity, purpose, and activity, and they're all intertwined, they're interlinked, I understand that, but let's try to break these teaching from God's Word down into these things. So what is the identity of the church? Well, the Bible shows us that the church is something. It is something distinct. It's a distinct thing that God has ordained to be active in the world. It is something. It's not accidental. God has ordained it. Um, but, but what is it? Uh, well, the New Testament shows us several word pictures of what the church should be and what the church is. Metaphors to, to help us grasp something significant about the very nature of the identity of the church. Uh, and I wonder if we could try to compile a list, maybe a non-exhaustive list, I understand, but compile a list of some of the ways in which the Bible talks about the church. So has anyone got any ideas? What comes to mind when you think of what, how the Bible describes the church in terms of these word pictures or metaphors? We've heard a couple of them already from Tim this morning. The body. Thank you, Hugh. Yeah, the body. The bride of Christ. Thanks, Harry. People in the back can pray charades and they can try to figure out what they're saying. Any others that you can think of? Brilliant. Thanks, Jack. Yeah. A royal priesthood. Yeah. A royal priesthood, a holy people. Yeah. A chosen people, a royal priesthood. Holy nation. Yeah. Brilliant. Family. Thanks, Christine. Yeah.
I realize I've had a bit more time to think about it, so I do have some answers on a list. Um, but, but there's lots. Uh, so a body, uh, we see that in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. We see a bride of Christ, brilliant. Uh, the family has been mentioned. The holy nation has been mentioned. There's the temple. Uh, the, we are being built into a spiritual temple. The flock from 1 Peter 5, where elders are being charged to care for the flock that is under your care. Uh, the household of God in 1 Timothy 3. There's lots of these images throughout the New Testament of the church to help us understand how we are to understand the church, uh, the identity of the church. What is it and what is it to be? And, and we're not going to work through each of these word pictures in detail, but there's a clear and some clear themes that run through each of those images. So body, bride, flock, family, temple, household, holy nation. Uh, and one of the themes that runs through all of those pictures is this idea of a unified group of individuals coming together and being connected together. So a body has many parts, a family has many members, a flock is made up of individual sheep, and so on and so on. A temple is made up of many stones. And so the strong emphasis in each of these pictures is that each individual Christian is part of something much bigger. Indeed, becoming a Christian, in becoming a Christian, giving your life to, faith, to Christ and coming to him in repentance of faith, in faith automatically envelops you into the family of God. We read that in Romans 8, where we are adopted as his sons and daughters. And so the identity of the church is a group of individuals united together because of their faith and life in Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. It is a group of individuals united together because of their faith and life in Jesus Christ. And there's much that we could say about how church should be organized and structured automatically and ultimately Christ is our head. And we'll talk a little bit about structure in a wee minute, but... But let's think about the individuals are, that are involved in this body. So we're, we're saying that the church is one thing, but that doesn't negate the individual's place within that thing. See, who are these individuals that make up the body? Who are these, the, the sheep that are in the flock, the parts of the body that make it up? Who are the stones that make up the temple? Um, well, we're led to that question in, through our passage in Acts, because the very first word of verse 42 is they they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, well, who are they? Well, I think it clearly runs from verse 41 that they have been described to us in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So who are the they? The they are those who believe in Jesus. Those who trust in Jesus. Those who have repented of their sins, have been baptized and are therefore added to the number of the church. And this calls us back, this emphasis on, on claiming Christ as, as our Lord and Savior, that calls us back to Matthew 16, uh, 16 to 18, where, where Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes on to say, yes, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You see, on the declaration of Christ as Savior and Lord, he builds his church. And so who declares him as Lord and Savior? Well, those who believe, his disciples. And so this is the distinguishing characteristic of the Christian church. You see, the church is not just a social club. It is not just a community charity. It is not just an institution within wider society. Now, it is those things, but it is so much more than those things because the one thing that distinguishes the church from any other group is that it is made up of people who are followers of Jesus. So we see this in Acts 2, those who have responded to the good news of his salvation. 
those who have repented of their sin, those who have committed their lives to following him as their Lord and Savior. This is the makeup of the Christian church. Now, it's really important that we also say that that doesn't mean that we are exclusive to those who do not yet believe. There should always be a warm and genuine and hospitable welcome to those who maybe don't share our faith yet. But in terms of what it means for us to gather together, there is something distinctive because we're Christians. We are Christ's church. We are his body. We are his family. And so it is the gospel that unites us. It is the gospel through which we are welcomed into his church, and it is the gospel that keeps us as his church. And so to try to answer the question, what is the identity of the church? Well, the church is the gathering of those who have given their lives to Jesus. And this is true as we think of both the universal and the local expression of Christ's church. The universal church of Jesus Christ around the world throughout all time. And as Tim has led us so wonderfully in prayer this morning, it is right that we remember and we pray for our brothers and sisters all over this island and around the world. And and the identity of the church is also true in its local expressions. As we see beginning through the book of Acts and has been through 2,000 years of church history, local expressions of that universal church made up of people who have given their lives and hearts to Jesus. And so what is the identity of the church? Well, it is made up of believers in Christ, uniting together under him. He is our head, and we only exist for his glory. So that's part of what it means for the identity of the church. Secondly, then, let's, let's try to consider what is the purpose of the church. And this maybe goes back to my question at the beginning. Why are we here? Um, why are you here this morning? Maybe more broadly, why are we here as Gilnerhurt Baptist Church? Why do we exist? And broader still, then, why, why did Jesus leave his church on the earth? What are we here to do? Um, and we'll, we'll turn back to Acts 2 in just a moment. But um, I think in what we see, in particularly in verses 42 through to 47, we see activities that are an outworking of the purpose. And, and so we'll come back when we think of the activity of the church. We'll come back to Acts 2. But for now, I want to take us back to the end of Matthew's gospel. Uh, to Matthew 28, and we'll read some of Jesus' final words to his disciples as he charges them and commissions them. Uh, So let's read what Jesus says to his disciples. Acts 28, we'll read from verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so here we have what's become known as the Great Commission. Some of Jesus' final challenging commissioning words to his disciples. And what does he tell them to do? To go, to make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. And so this is the purpose that Jesus gives to his followers. This is what they are to do. This is, so if you follow Jesus, you are a disciple. And part of your role as a disciple is to make disciples in his name and for his glory. And these disciples who heard this commission on the mountain in Galilee, they returned to Jerusalem. They obediently wait for the Spirit, then burst onto the street. They call people to repentance and baptism, and then they gather. And so hopefully you can see the connection between making disciples and the church. They go hand in hand. 
So making disciples is not just a ministry of the church. Making disciples is the very purpose for the church. That we go into all the world and make disciples. And how do we do that? We baptize and we teach them to obey everything that Christ has commanded. And so the very, the very purpose of the church is to go and make disciples. And, and equally so, disciples then aren't to be made, or they shouldn't be made in a vacuum. Individuals dotted around all over. No, because once we are brought into Christ's family, we are then enfolded into his church. And so those who believe, they become part of his family, his church, and, and Christians thrive in community together. That is how God has wired us and made us to be. And, and so what is the purpose of the church? Well, it's ultimately to glorify God by making disciples through Jesus. But, but, but how does that purpose work out? That may sound like a nice soundbite, but how does that actually work out? And this is where we're going to move back into Acts 2, where we see some of the activity that is very clearly an outworking of the command to make disciples and so what is the activity of the church let's turn ourselves back to acts chapter 2 and what i would love to do is just to read through these verses again from verse 42 to 47 and maybe you could pick out or try to listen out for some of those very purposeful activities that are taking place Um, this is not an accidental group of people and these are not accidental activities these are these are in response to the command of god to go and make disciples and so let's read these words from verse 42 of acts 2 They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled in awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is an incredible list of activity, isn't it? That that they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, to prayer. That there are wonders and signs, spiritual wonders and signs being worked out among them. That they were together. There was unity in this group, not uniformity. There's clearly a very diverse group of people meeting here. But they were together. They had everything in common. Some who had, they sold so that others who didn't have could be given to. There was great generosity in this group. They met together and continued to meet together. There was a a definite priority upon their relationships and their time together. Uh, They opened up their homes to one another. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And they praised God together. It's a remarkable list of of activity. Uh, And as we read it, I think it, it seems so spontaneous, if I can use that word, organic almost. That, that this was just a natural outflowing of coming to faith in Christ. That you wanted to hear his teaching. You wanted to join with his people. You wanted to open your home to others. You wanted to share anything you had. You didn't want to accumulate wealth. No, you wanted to share with those in need. And so this seemed to be a very natural outworking of the grace of God in their hearts. And I'm struck by, in a sense, the inclusiveness of this. That, that all believers are involved in this. We see that a few times in verse 44. All the believers were together. And then in verse 45, they sold their property. Every day they continued to meet. In verse 46, they broke bread in their homes. This wasn't a a select few who were doing this. This was the community together as a whole. Everyone was involved in this in some way, shape, or form. 
And, and that theme continues throughout the New Testament. Those word pictures that we thought of earlier of the body as an example. Well, the body is made up of many parts in the teaching of 1 Corinthians 12 is that every part of the body is significant and equally so every part of the church is significant. Everyone has a role to play. In verse 27 we read, Now you are the body of Christ and each of you is part of it. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 gives those examples of, well, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The eye can't say to the ear. Every part of the body is essential. And likewise, every part of the body of Christ, made up of individuals, you and I, we are essential. We have a part to play. And we see it as well through the, the plethora of the one another's throughout the New Testament. That we're to love one another, honor one another. Be, uh, show humility toward one another. We are to serve one another. And one of my favorite verses of all time, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. There's such a, an inclusive, all of us together in this mission of God as his church under him. And so all of us have a part to play. Uh, and I'm going to read from um, Ephesians 2 in a, in a few minutes, but, but let's recognize all of us have a part to play. And yes, of course, as we go on through Acts, we see by the time we get to Acts chapter 6, this, this body of believers needs a structure to make sure that everyone is cared for and well looked after. It's what the New Testament is. It's the beginning of the office of elder and deacon. And of course, we adhere to those two offices here today. But that doesn't mean that it's only the elders and the deacons who do everything. The elders and deacons are there so that the body of Christ may be built up. Turn with me, if you can, to Ephesians 2, and we'll see the thrust of that argument from God himself. Sorry, Ephesians 4, not Ephesians 2. Ephesians 4, I want to begin in verse 11 and read through to verse 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, each part does its work, and that's the picture that we get here in Acts 2, isn't it? That everyone was together, they continued to meet, they sold possession, they gave to those in need, they praised God, they ate in one another's homes with glad and sincere hearts. And that's the kind of picture we have of that communal love and care and support and encouragement and, and spiritual nurturing of one another. And it's a wonderful picture. But once again, it's not a picture that's confined to the pages of Scripture. This is the reality of being God's church. That we love one another. We show humility to one another. We serve one another. We each have a part to play. So please play it. And, and so could I maybe encourage you to, to prayerfully come before God and, and, and ask him to make clear where your avenue of service might be here in this expression of his church. Maybe that's something very practical, like joining one of our teams, our AV team, our welcoming team, serving with the kids, um, playing music, whatever it might happen to be, something that, that, that helps to facilitate our, ca our corporate worship together. But there are many other ways in which we can serve one another. 
Um, so, so maybe God's burdening you to, to set aside an hour of your week and, and just phone your way through the church directory and see how you can encourage and, 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 and motivate and, and support your brothers and sisters who gather here with you. Or maybe that is offering hospitality in your, on your home on a regular basis. And so setting aside one Sunday a month to, to say that that will be someone from church will join us that Sunday. I don't know what that might be. I'm free for that if anyone's willing to host. Maybe it's uh, meeting for, for coffee once a fortnight, discussing a passage of scripture with someone, praying through and for one another. Uh, I have the great joy of doing that with someone in this fellowship where we meet fortnightly, we read God's word, we pray together. It's a joy. And it shouldn't be. It should, that, that's not just because I'm the pastor, so I'm the holy one. No, let's do that with one another. That's what it means to be brothers and sisters together. Or, or maybe you know of, of, a, of a financial or a practical need that you could help provide for someone. Maybe you could sell someone and sell something, someone, sell something and give to someone in need. Let's live out this way. This is not this is not some kind of theoretical handbook of how things could be. This was how things were in the early church. May it be so as Christ continues His work in and through each of us. And, and I recognise that all of those things, all of those examples, and there's many, many more. That's not an exhaustive list. Many ways in which we can display these one another's together. Um, but, but they all seem simple. But I know that they take effort and they take dedication. But that's part of what it means to, to be part of the Church of Christ. It's part of what it means to encourage and serve and spiritually care for one another. See, these are good and, and wonderful ways to, to joyfully in, invest our time and our energy uh, in our brothers and sisters as we seek to help one another, spur one another on towards love and good deeds, spur one another on in our following of Jesus. In other words, we, we continue to make disciples. And and let me be very clear, Um, this focus on making disciples is not in any way then to turn us inward in ourselves. Yes, it is that we love and care and serve for one another, absolutely. Um, But it no way means that we only care for ourselves and only look after ourselves. No, not at all. In fact, the wonderful outcome that we see in these things described in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 is the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This group of believers in Jerusalem, they enjoyed the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number. This, this very clear message of making disciples had a, had a community impact because the gospel was shining forth from how these folks were interacting with one another. And people were coming to faith as a daily occurrence. And it's because of the clear and dramatic witness of this church. <laughs> I know that we would see such a move of God's spirit among us. We would see and hear daily of those coming to faith, daily of those accepting Jesus, daily of those repenting uh, and being baptized and being added to their church in Gilnahirk and Braniel and Tully Carnet and Ballygown and Newton Ards and Newton Breda and wherever you are, wherever God has placed you, that we would know daily God drawing people to himself. Not because we are doing anything wonderful, we're just being his church. We're recognizing that he has saved us He has called us to be part of his family. We love and care for one another, yes. And because of that and through many other ways, the gospel goes forth. People are drawn to repentance and baptism and added to their number. Not that it's in any way about numbers, it's about souls. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we had to lift the floor in this place and have a baptismal service? 
not just because people reach an age for that. That's wonderful. Let's celebrate that. But because people were coming, there was new birth, new life, spiritual fervor, people repenting of their, of their sins and coming to faith in Christ. And so let's baptize them. And let's joyfully celebrate as the Lord adds to our number those who are being saved. It's his work. It's his church. It's his gospel. And he invites us to be part of it. What a joy. So what is the identity of the church? Well, the church is made up of people who love Jesus, people who follow him, people who have repented of their sin and have put their their trust and faith in his saving work alone. What's the purpose of the church? To make disciples, to baptize people, to to teach them everything that God has commanded, that Jesus has commanded. And so we hold high the pace of scripture. And what is the activity of the church? Well, we're devoted to his word. We're devoted to one another. We're devoted to praising him. And oh, that the Lord would be pleased to add to our number daily those who are being saved. As we've said, this is his church. We have a wonderful joy and privilege of being part of it because of his saving work in our lives. And so if I can say graciously, let's take seriously what it means to be his church. To be his body, to be his family, his flock. And, and that is a charge that, that the elders and deacons take seriously here. We recognize the weight of responsibility that is on us as we seek to spiritually care for and practically uh, care for the needs of this congregation. But let's do that for and with one another too. So that Christ would be glorified. So that his name would ring out from this place. So that people would be drawn to his loving care and grace and wonderful salvation as they recognize their need for him. The church is the body of Christ. We have a wonderful privilege and great responsibility as a local expression of it here. And so may God lead us and guide us as we continue to try to be his witness, empowered by his spirit, for his glory and his glory alone. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your church. We thank you that you have called us into your church, many of us, because you have saved us. And so we praise you, Father, for your salvation. We thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross, for taking the penalty of our sin, so that we will be welcomed into the family of God. We will be adopted as sons and daughters of the King. This is only possible. We are only part of your church because of what you have done, Jesus. And so we thank you and we praise you. And then as your church in this place, we pray, Father, that you would help us. Empower us by your spirit so that we would live out the New Testament example of what we see. That we would be faithful witnesses to you. That we would call people to repentance and faith and baptism. We would, we would live out the wonder of what it means to make disciples that we would help others to see your good news, help others to know your teaching. And Lord, would you help us uh, as a community here to spur one another on? However practically that works out for us this week, God, I pray that you'd help us to take those steps and and make those practices um, a definite part of our week. And Lord, as we then think outward from ourselves into the communities around us, God, would you Would you shine forth from here, we pray. 
would you, by your spirit, through your good news, as we live out faithful witnessing to you, would you add daily to our number those who are being saved? And we pray, Father, that as we do all those things, and as you work in and through us, Father, would your name be glorified? Would your church continue to expand? Thank you that the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Because you, Jesus, are building your church. So move mightily among us, we pray. May it all be for your glory, the renown of your name, the extension of your kingdom, we ask. Amen.